You are the brave red pioneers of Mars. You do what we could not do. You suffer so that others will flourish. Always remember that obedience is the highest virtue. Investigators are focusing in on terrorist group the Sons of Ares, who's believed to be behind the bombing that claimed the lives of an entire mining crew and technician group yesterday. But it's winter well on the way, the drafters have a new favorite emerging. Darrow Al Andromedus and fellow House Dranks, the Howlers, led a punishing assault on Pat Al Telemannus and House Minerva today. We'll break it all down for you, coming up next. You're of use because you're more than a weapon. When your wife died, she didn't just give you a vendetta. She gave you her dream. You're its keeper. Welcome to Hail Reaper. Hey everyone, welcome to episode five of Hail Reaper. My name is Philip, and I'm with my very good friend Jeremy. What's up, dude? Just taking a swig of water. There you go. Yeah, getting ready for the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. And Tim is here. What's up, Tim? He gave, he gives his nominal peace sign that he does every single time. So he's a cool guy. He's just holding down the fort over there, <laughs> just like being the sick producer dude. Um, we're talking all about my and this practice of trying to figure out who my top five favorite characters were for Red Rising. I was thinking about it, you know, Daryl's number one, Mustang's number two. I'm not going to spoil who's in the middle, but going down that line, <laughs> we have, I slot in Julian at number five and just this book, just this book, not in the whole story, but I really love this character. Like, I, and we'll talk all about that, but I'm like so into Julian. Yeah, that's, that's like, I don't want to say crazy because it's not crazy to me. I mean, you can like whomever you like yeah. and, uh, you know, Julian's a cool character. I, I just... I don't think when people are kind of considering like building out a top five, it's not that they dislike Julian. It's just that he doesn't even come to mind. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that it's only with the ability to go back and either reread the story or have the full like vantage point of all three books because his name like pops up all like because of that relationship with Cassius and Daryl, his name comes up a ton. But as like a living, breathing person, his, he's barely available to you. Like he's hardly even in the story. But like... I really like look at this character as like EO2. And I think he plays like that same role, like kind of like Pierce Brown uses him as that device to kind of launch Darrow into something new. And EO definitely does that. We talked all about that. And, and also Julian does that too. But before we kind of get all the way into like the depths of Julian, which we I want to uncover with you, I want to take a moment and kind of just talk about our show and kind of what our scope is and our trajectory and where we're going. So for us, like, Kale Reaper, we wanted, we wanted it to be Darrow's journey. And we're gonna going along that path with Darrow because he's the POV character and obviously the most important character. And so we've been touching on these other secondary characters with, with him. So obviously we have Eo and that he gives, um, she gives him the dream. Dancer focuses the dream. I know you have a whole thing, you were talking about that. But they also give him perspective, they give him tools. and. Darrow is so adaptive and able that he takes those and kind of creates them as his own. And Julian gives him something wildly important and offers him something really, uh, if he doesn't have that, the story could be a very different story. We can, we're gonna talk about that, which I'm excited to do. Like, if this character didn't exist, what could the story be? But before we uh, do that, I wanna know your feelings. 
So what was like your impression of Julian when you first read the book, like the first time versus how you feel about him like right now? Yeah, for sure. On the, on the first time through the book, I, I, I thought he was quite inconsequential. Um, yeah. He just kind of came and went and, and I, I just thought he was kind of a, a tool to, um, a tool of modality to kind of move Darrow into the Institute. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you kind of get the sense from like Severo you meet at the same time and, and Cassius' his twin brother a little down the road that they're kind of there to stay. Um, but I never really got the sense that Julian was going to be around to stay. I, I don't think Pierce Brown necessarily like wrote anything. There's specific. no hints for it, right? Yeah, there's no hints or anything. I, and I don't know why. Like, it's like a sixth sense kind of thing. But yeah. But I just kind of felt like he wasn't going to stick around. Um, but to contrast that with subsequent reads, and, and you and I have had a lot of them, uh, you just realize how absolutely impactful Julian really is to this story. I mean, I use this analogy. It's, it's kind of corny, but it, it, that's okay. I a lot of these characters your Severos, your Mustangs, your Cassiuses, those kind of things, right? They're like skipping stones that that kind of just bounce across the surface of the water and they permeate that that entirety of the of mm -hmm. the series, you know, on the surface level. And Julian, I mean it's kind of not very polite to say about him, but he's like this round rock that just kind of plunks into the water. <laughs> you know, he doesn't skip a single time. But what happens is he gives off a lot of ripples. Yes. And those ripples are what actually continue to permeate throughout the entire story. And, and you just continue to see him uh, always throughout the five books right now. And, and I would assume we'll actually hear about him in book six. Uh, yeah. But he's always there. I love your analogy. And I know you were like on the fence about the whole skipping rocks. <laughs> but I'm, now that you've said it on the podcast, I'm so stoked that you uh, did. So all right. hats, hats off to you. So, and, okay, so just for fun, we talked about this, but let's share it. So we were talking about like the over under that Julian is going to be uh, mentioned in book six. And <laughs> I put it at one and a half times and you took the over mm -hmm. and I took the under. I, don't, I think he's so you think he's basically going to be mentioned at least twice, at least twice. And I and, I, and we also did a probability and I said there's an 85 percent chance <laughs> that he'll show up. And if so, I'm taking the over on one yeah. and a half. And you mean show up by like being mentioned and talked Correct. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> he's like that zombie Julian. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm I'm going to say one like he's mentioned one time it's just like this quick moment between a couple characters but and then i'm gonna say the probability is gonna be like i'm gonna say like 40 percent. oh wow I, yeah i'm gonna drop that like right. a, like a lot from what you said but so we've danced about around this now we've talked about the importance of the character but we're not addressing the importance of the character like again kind of within the scope of what we're doing as a podcast like what does he offer like what does he truly offer and Let's talk about that. Let's kind of go into a, a different segment. And I want to do this. I want to create like an alternate Red Rising reality. And I'm going to make a couple rules with this, this reality. Okay. So the first rule is that all the kids that we know in the Institute, and I say kids are like late teens, like young adults. They're going to, the ones like the Mustangs, the Cassiuses, like, you know, even Antonia, like they're all going to, if they survived in the real book, they're going to survive in this alternate reality version that I'm creating right now. Okay. And the second thing is that Cassius, excuse me, Julian and Darrow will not meet in the passage. That doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. So we're going to say that Darrow gets paired with some rando gold, which makes that scene way less impactful and exciting. I don't know if you would maybe write it. You might just kind of talk about it a little bit. But we're going to say that in this reality that, um, well, who do you want? who do you want Julian to be with? Thistle. Okay, so shout out to Thistle. <laughs> um, so Thistle and Julian are going to fight in their passage. And let's say that Thistle wins. Mm -hmm. And so she makes it out. And we okay. have her in the story. 
but we don't, we still don't get Julian. Okay, that's like the reality I'm establishing right now. And I'm, t- I'm gonna, Tim, you don't have to edit this out, but like when we do this, like throw like a sick beat underneath this. So it's like red rising reality, alternate universe, like cool stuff, okay? Cool, okay, here we go. <laughs> so here are the things that are gonna happen in this reality because we've made this, essentially this one fundamental move, which is taking uh, the meeting of Julian and Daryl out of the passage. The first thing I think happens, it's highly likely, is Cassius and Daryl, they become better friends, greater friends. And I think that, the reason that I think that is because there's no impending fallout. There's no expiration date. There's no secret to be withheld. There's the obvious secret that Darrow is a red, but that's from everyone. But he has to be a little more guarded with Cassius and he has to kind of keep his eye on the ball a little bit more with him, even though like they're really close and they refer to each other, they refer to each other as brother and they have like that special bond. But I think that that doesn't happen. I think that you're he's able to let his guard down more and just kind of almost fall in a deeper friendship with him. So I think that's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens in this is that Cassius already does. He already extends that invitation to both Darren Rook to join House Bologna as breeders. Right. I think that still happens. And so, but here's the difference. And that's that this is the third thing is that this now becomes a story of Darrow and Rook now joining House Bologna and not joining House Augustus because that friendship is forged. It's, it's strong, it's tested. And so they're gonna, he's gonna slide over. So this really fundamentally changes the entire series now. And what that does is like kind of like almost like a, like a backsplash moment is that we're now vilifying Mustang. And Adrius is always an enemy, but Mustang's ability to be in the story more is just way less, unless you pull a total like Romeo and Juliet, it doesn't happen. And then Severo just has a, a lot less chances to kind of weave his, his own story into the greater narrative of Darrow. So I, I wanna ask you then, knowing all this, like this could possibly be an, an absolute like reality. Does this seem plausible to you? Or is this like moving Julian out of this one moment like creates all these ripples? No, I, I mean, I think you're you're dead on with, um, with your three sort of points there. Um, I think it's interesting because you're kind of spelling out uh, basically you know, the, the illusion that Titus holds, mm, yeah. you know, with, with him being the murderer and Cassius kind of believing that, you're kind of just making that a reality and yes. then kind of lengthening that out and saying, like, what if, you know, that yes. was actually true. The lie was true. Yeah. Um, and that's an interesting thing to say. Uh, one, one, <laughs> one thing I would, I would put as a caveat to what you were saying, though, because um, you talk about the friendships. And I would think they're a one-way street mm. um, because, you know, Darrow is not going to befriend them. He's not going to like them. He's not going to actually think they're he's a brother of theirs or anything like that. Um, and and because he's I, like using them more now. Like is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Cassius continues to call him brother and, and Roke, and there's the two of them. And then Darrow's kind of this like false friend. You know, to mm-hmm. them he's a, this friend, but Darrow's really like, hey, bros, I'm just going to kill I'm, you later. I'm just gonna, yeah, I'm going to use you, and then I'm going to kill you. Right. Yeah. And what really breaks that for Darrow? Is actually Julian, right? Mm. And um, you, you kind of talked about my little uh, thing I say, and it's just kind of like what we do. We, right? we, we talk about these characters, and we talked about Io, and um, we mentioned in the first uh, in the second episode for Io is that she's the match that starts the wildfire, and uh, Darrow is that wildfire. Uh, and then we went on and we talked about Dancer, right? And he's the wind that gives directionality and really focuses that fire and that rage that Darrow has. But Julian, what we're talking about today, 
he actually teaches Darrow how to control that wildfire, that rage, and teach him that he can't scorch absolutely everything in his path. I mean, before this, golds were evil. Golds were to be exterminated. That was our only vantage point. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Darrow really came into this with almost the same mentality as Titus. I'm, I'm not going to claim that he had the exact same mentality, but it was it, it was very close. He, he really came in to infiltrate society and then cause genocide. Mm-hmm. Right? He was going to literally wipe out all of the goals. But Julian is the one that I would argue softened him towards yes. gold, taught him that there are golds that are worth their lives, that, are, that, are, that humanity is, is within them. Yeah, and so this is why I love this character. This is why he's top five for me, because he teaches Darrow something so great. Like, I, I would argue even, I'm, this is crazy, but I think this is the most valuable lesson that Darrow learns in this first book, is empathy. He does not have that, doesn't almost have a capacity for it. And he's, we're gonna talk about this in a second in like best quotes. I know you have a couple more things you wanna add, but the idea of Daryl being able to like feel for someone that's a gold does not exist until Julian. He mentions in the passage, like, I don't wanna kill this guy. I don't wanna do it. I don't know how to do it. And you see like the remnants of that, like he's broken, like he's crying in the passage and it takes him a while to even realize he can walk out. He's just, he's just absolutely broken. And and that moment breaks me too. Like on the reread, like I really feel with Daryl in that moment, but I also feel, feel for Julian and his brothers and his family. And, and that's like a big deal. Like that's like, it's sad. And I think, man, that's like one of the hardest moments in the whole book for me, like book one. I know the series has, (laughs) the series has way harder moments and we, 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 at least they develop harder moments, but that moment is uh, so real. And that's why he's my like fifth favorite character in this whole book. I know you want to talk about Sebra a little bit too, though. So keep going with that. Yeah, I, I want to make another argument. And and that's the importance of Julian is actually that he brings Severo and Mustang into the into prominence in this story. I, I There are so many people out there that we've talked to on social. And Severo is probably the number one fan favorite. Mm, yeah, um, for sure. And, and Mustang is another really big one. But without Julian... Um, you don't get Severo, right? Because there's never a hollow cube. There's never a deception. Yes. And you really see, yeah, sure, you see Severo come in and, and he serves kind of a purpose. He has little tasks and things that he does. But it's really not until um, the hollow cube that Darrow really fully puts his trust in him and that friendship is developed. Yes. And it, it, and then like you talked about, right? I mean, you, you already kind of brought up Mustang, but She's too intellectual to ever be a star-crossed lover. Yeah. So Romeo and Juliet lines never going to work with that her. That would be insulting to her for sure. Oh, it would be. Yeah. So so you, you don't have Severo and you don't have Mustang. Severo's still, you know, off in the bushes doing his thing. And wanking off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll off. say it if you won't say All it. All right, he's off wanking off in the bushes. <laughs> and and Mustang just continues to do her thing and hide in the woods, I guess, until she's found. Yeah, and who knows what that story, that Mustang story would be like. We're going to get to her in a couple of weeks. Well, I know you're, she's, your, she's your favorite character, so I know you're pumped on that one. I, I know we could play the what if game like all day long. Like, you know, what if this didn't happen? What if that didn't happen? But Julian's just like moves the story. And like, yeah. if you play the what if game with Julian and just slightly skew it, it rocks the foundation of the entire first trilogy. Like the second book is like not even the second book. We get something completely different. Yeah, you can what if anyone you want, but it's it's the magnitude of the what yes. if that yeah. is the reason we're talking about Julian. Yeah, for sure. Let's go ahead and talk about Julian quotes. Okay, so here's the funny catch about this. 
None of these quotes are from Julian. <laughs> um, he doesn't talk a whole lot. And if he does, it's just, it's kind-hearted words mostly about yeah. either his brother or, uh, you know, to Daryl. Like he's he's like really positive, upbeat. And those those things that he says don't move the needle forward in terms of his character uh, being a, an important character. So I want to establish this too. Ju- these Julian quotes, two of them are for Golden from Golden Sun. Uh for those of you who haven't read Golden Sun, shout out to Whitney, my sister. Um, she's only read Red Rising. <laughs> but uh, we want to just like, we're just going to dip our feet in the water. We're not going to talk about Golden Sun a lot. So no just, spoilers. No spoilers if you're just reading this book for the first, these series for the first time. But this kind of uncovers the Julian side of it. And you get the totality of Julian by the beginning of book two. And that's why I want to mention these specific quotes. The first one is from Kellen Albalona, and the next two are from Darrow. So, Jeremy, go ahead and read all three of these, and we'll react to them. Or actually, take them one by one, and we'll react to them. Okay. Like that. I taught Julian to fish, Reaper. As a boy, he didn't like it because he thought it hurt the fish too much. Thought it was cruel. That's the boy your master had you kill. That's obviously Kellen. That's and Kellen. So what I like about this, and what I think is really interesting, is that golds are really severe by nature. At least that's the way, the picture that we're painted, right? And then you have Kellen who seems like he's like a, I think he's a legate. I'm, I, I feel bad if that's not correct, but he's high up and he's got a lot of status within the Bologna house, which has huge amounts of status. And he's like a tried and true warrior. He's a tested like battlefield warrior. And the first thing he kind of says is, I taught him, I taught my my cousin to fish. And he's, and he's sharing this like intimate moment with him. Like Darrow, he's like, you know, I taught him to, taught him to fish. And it's this private thing that they shared. And you're the one who killed him and that's not cool and that's unacceptable and that's why i'm here to freaking wreck you and i i think that's like so crazy that he's willing to share that and that's kind of what i glean about that but also again it's to the character of julian being the soft kind-hearted kid and and that he's not no longer available it shows almost like how despondent he is and the and like and he's saying that for the whole family i feel not just for kellen he's saying it for tiberius his father and, and julia his mother and like the other kind of surrounding Bologna's. Like, what do you got about that one? Yeah, I'm going to come in on the other side of the quote uh, and talk about, that's the boy your master had you kill. So Kellen is actually referencing Nero here, Nero Augustus, yeah, uh, governor of Mars. And it's his institute, right? This is the Martian Institute. And what he's talking about is that, um, you know, he's the reason that Darrow killed, killed Julian. Yes. And he got inside and kind of just messed with the pairings a little bit. I mean... You got to remember, Darrow is a first-round draft pick. He's 10th overall. And the way it works is that, especially ahead of the Institute when you're, when you're testing, they have thousands of kids. And top 500, they go to the Institute. All the middle thousands get sent home, yeah. told to come back next year and test. And then the bottom 500 are actually brought to the Institute. And it's meant as a calling ground, like, like we've talked about yeah. before. They want to actually kill off and better the stock of the golds by eliminating these, these weak 500. So traditionally, you're going to have your, your top picks um, paired with your bottom picks, and, and they're meant to be like exterminators, so to speak. Yes. You know, and this is so, so weird. So really, Darrow should have been paired with the last round pick, but he actually got paired with Julian in a mid-round pick, and Julian should have been paired with someone who he had a decent chance of, of fighting off, but he didn't. And the reason Nero did that is because the Bolognas killed his eldest son, Yes, and he is exacting his revenge on uh, on the Bolognas for that. 
Yeah. And he couldn't do it on Cassius because Cassius is probably a second or third round pick. I don't think it ever actually confirms no. that for us, but we, we think he's probably second round. Um, so Darrow really, I mean, it would have been too even and you don't really give yourself great chances of killing off your enemy's son. So he had to go about doing it through Julian. And we know that Nero tampers with the Institute in book one, but book two is where I think you get like, this is finally concrete information. Right. And it's like, it's not just like known inside the Institute through Fitchner and other characters. It's now known outside the Institute in the broader world. Like, yeah, Nero like totally, like essentially made you kill Julian. And then, and there are rivals. And so that's a problem with us. Why don't you go ahead and read quote two. And though I smile, he doesn't know how cold I am inside. The conversation, the jibes, the smiles, they are all a pattern of sociality. Mateo's done me well, but to Julian's credit, he doesn't seem a monster. He should be a monster. And we've, we've talked about this. We're kind of circling around that for a lot of the right. podcasts. Like, he is not a monster. Kellen says it. Darrow says it. Cassius says it. Like, it's been exemplified by Julian the character, but then also told to us in different moments. Like, Cassius actually talks about it in, uh, in a pretty big moment that we'll talk about next week in the Cassius episode, like when they duel each other, mm-hmm. like to like what we think is the death in that moment, but not. But there's all these characters that are like, they really love him. And he's really not, and I think the reason they love him so much, he's so unlike the rest of gold. He's so different. Like, and, and like by his nature, he's a loving, kind kid. And it makes it like all that more sad. And again, that's why I, I that's why he's my top five. So, <laughs> but what do you have on that one? Uh, no, I mean, I, I just think that, like you said, it just really kind of compacts our argument for yes. Julian and kind of really summarizes it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it does a good job. I mean. Well, go ahead and go dump quote number three then. Sure. Julian was more of a man than you are, Carnus. In a world of killers, it takes more to be kind than to be wicked. Dunk. Like that is like just Daryl dunking on Carnus's head. Like, And it's like the coolest. <laughs> it's like one of the best like gotcha moments i think in like all the first trilogy like mustang is like the ultimate dropper of lines like on people i think but daryl has a few too and this is where like he really gets at his rival but again it's not just like him like dunking on him but it's like what he says and what he's recognizing like Mm -hmm. daryl daryl is his killer and he's even telling like another a a brother of carnis like he was better than you like by a long shot. And I think you can even interject through subtext that Darrow is wishing that he had Julian uh, here in the story rather than Carnus. Yeah, and I, I think it's really important to remember, and if you haven't read the uh, second book that I'm, in, that I'm telling you right now. <laughs> yeah, okay, there you go. But, you know, Carnus doesn't actually care for Julian. You know, he, yeah. he views him as a weakling. He, he's like he the holds, only one of Bologna that like, he's like, that guy's, a, that guy's a loser. Yeah, exactly. He holds that very gold thought that you should eliminate the weaklings. And he, he felt like Julian was one of those coddled by his mother and so on. And so for him to be told that, uh, you know, Julian is a better man than him and he holds these gold kind of truths so close to him. Yes. That in a very gold, like prim, proper and polite society, this is like a massive insult. Yeah, I mean, this it's is so good. Just like it's such a good quote. And I love it. I feel like, I kind of feel bad now that we didn't have a Julian quote, but I don't know what we would say. Yeah, so I don't know. So I don't think we're going to make any <laughs> post edits. I think we're just going to have to leave it at that. Just let it roll. Yeah, so we're going to go and wrap up the podcast there. You want you have any final thoughts on, on Julian before we get out? Nothing crazy, just just a, a short thought. And that's just how how cool I think it is that a character that appears so briefly in this story 
of course, Julian just has such an amazing impact and that we hear his name continuously and the effects of his death for five books and, and what I'm presuming will be a six. Yeah, at least in our odds. So yeah, we have it. He's going <laughs> to sh- show up in a book. Pierce Brown, write him in. Yeah, we can, we can petition that right now. Like, I've got money on this. <laughs> we didn't bet, did we? No. Okay, I was like, did we bet money on that? <laughs> um, anyway, it's on recording, so I, I could listen back. But I actually want to hop on that. So okay. here's a testament to Julian. Here's how important this character is. And it's it completely falls in line with what you just said. In the very last chapter of Morningstar, the last thing you, one of the last things you can read in the first trilogy, Julian's name is there. It's, it's, and it's prominent and it's, it's, and it's like a shared moment that is really special. So if you haven't read that in a while and you want to kind of go back and, and you're, you've kind of thinking about and reflecting on the importance of this character and why we even bother to do an episode on a character that's on like under 10 pages of the book. Like he's mentioned more, but like his physical representation is like about like a 10 page character. It's because of the ripple effects, like you said, that kind of just go through the whole story and all the way to the end of Morningstar. So cool, man. Well, let's wrap up there. Tim, you all good? Dope. Anyway, hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. Thanks to Pierce Brown for writing the beloved Red Rising series. A special thanks to Tim, our engineer and sound designer. Check out his music on Spotify by looking for the link in our podcast description. And thanks to all our contributors who made this show possible. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your respective podcast platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Hail Reaper Pod, and you can email us at hailreaperpod at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, please take a look on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Hail Reaper. Until next time, for my co-host Philip, I'm Jeremy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>